Hebrews 11 that Lee has just read to us reminds us of faithful lives and reminds us what faith is about, being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. The writer to the, he- to, to the Hebrews wants his readers to remember all those faithful Israelites that went before them. Their familiar names and familiar stories. But he places them firmly within the Christian story that their faith was looking forward to the fulfillment of God's promises. What and who we remember shapes who we are as individuals and as a group. As we said in the setting of the scene, when we think about our missional communities, we think up, in, out, and of. We belong to a worldwide church, a communion of saints, a faithful people. This year, I've been engaged in a number of acts of remembering for one such person. As some of you know, I direct a Centre for the Study of Mission and World Christianity in Cambridge. Its name is the Henry Martin Centre. And here he is. Henry Martin died 200 years ago last month, and the Centre has held seminars, services and an exhibition to mark this year. But I wonder how many of you have heard about Henry heard of Henry Martin. Some of you know what the centre that I work for, but beyond that, two centuries after his death, he is little remembered. But for many, many decades, right into the 20th century, he was a household name. People named their children after him. Um, One example is the the Roberts Rule of Order, which is the the sort of parliamentary constitution for the US. The Robert uh, in that name was Henry Martin Robert. His his parents named him in honour of Henry Martin, and there are a number of other significant examples. Biographies of his life were extremely popular, and stained glass windows depicting him were placed in churches. His name was invoked to encourage Christians to engage in mission outside the UK and indeed a trust was founded in his name um, which supports the Henry Martin Centre I work for. There's also a Henry Martin Institute in Hyderabad in India. So what did his admirers find so compelling about this individual? Well, between 1807 and 1812, he translated the New Testament into Arabic, Urdu, and Persian, which was quite an astonishing feat, even with some very able assistants. He was a British East India Company chaplain. Oh, I've got a, sorry, I've forgotten my slide. Uh, There you've got the frontispiece of the Persian translation. He was a British East India Company champion who was not content with simply providing Christian worship for settlers, traders and the British army, but wished to preach the gospel to Indians and was concerned 
for their social situation, or those of the poorest. He spent a year in Persia in order to work on, on the Persian translation. And whilst he was there, he debated with Shia clerics about religion, and he wrote tracts to refute Muslim beliefs. He also kept a journal which charted his inmost thoughts and spiritual struggles, and which greatly moved those who read it. Not least because it spoke of the unrequited love for a woman who would not accompany him to India. He had inherited a consumptive constitution, and he died at the age of 31 of TB in Turkey, trying to get back to Britain to ensure the publication of his Persian translations and to renew his suit with Lydia. So there is nothing more romantic uh, as thwarted love and a dramatic death. He became, for British people and for, for people across the globe, and particularly for people in Cambridge where he'd been an outstanding scholar, he became a missionary hero. Yet many of the reasons why he was admired for so long became reasons to forget him. He had become a bit like the stained glass windows of himself. Um, there are three or four in Cambridge. This one actually comes from Truro Cathedral, where he was born and brought up in Truro. Um, there he is. Um, it looks like he hasn't bothered to get dressed, but I think that's some kind of preaching surplus he's meant to be in, looking pale, wan, and saintly, uh, with some rather swarthy natives around him. So we have some uh, sort of racial stereotyping of the late 19th century going on in this window, as, as well as lots of other things. So he's a bit one-dimensional, a bit bright and shiny in here, but not very real. And by the late 20th century, there was a suspicion that Henry Martin could not be as good as was claimed. Uh, today, we're a little suspicious of people who are heroes, uh, who seem to get everything right. He was tainted with imperialism, with morbid introspection, those spiritual di diaries that had uh, gained the admiration of earlier Christians read a little bit depressingly today. He was tainted with overconfidence, perhaps, about his own religion and culture, and intolerance towards those of others. At best, his virtues seemed to be those of another age. Amnesia, under such circumstances, seemed the best option. Yet forgetting those in our Christian tradition who appear a little awkward for our day and age is not really an option. We begin to forget where we came from, what has made us, for good and bad, and who we are. Our faith may well become so comfortable that it has no challenge to our own time. A figure like Henry Martin makes us ask what we might learn from Christians of previous ages. And the popular portraits of his life, in words or in stained glass, also make us ask whether he has been properly remembered and whether aspects of his life have been overlooked and might be worth re-exploring. Henry Martin will always be remembered for his linguistic achievements in Bible translation. But for me, there are particular things that stand out about him. The courage 
to follow God's will for him, despite knowing that it would almost certainly shorten his life, as indeed it did. The tenacity to keep going in difficulty when faced with a very different climate, society and culture. His self-criticism and his desire to live for Jesus Christ. I also admire the openness he displayed to change his perspective. Henry Martin, as a young man, was curate at uh, the church at Lulworth, just off the A14. And when he finally boarded the ship um, bound for India, he took upon the role of honorary chaplain. And all the evidence suggests that he was rather young, insufferable, and insecure that he had little understanding of the life of agricultural labourers in Cambridgeshire, nor indeed those people um, working on the ship or travelling with him. He failed to understand why they were not immediately gripped with the gospel message that so inspired him. But during his time in India, we see a change. He begins to think about the situations of others, to develop a deep compassion not always present in other employees of the British East India Company, to see things from a different point of view. He had little idea of what India or Persia were like. He experienced forms of poverty and customs, like burning of widows, which really shocked him. And he had little preparation for how to live in this situation. He had to work it out for himself. And sometimes he seems to have learned great empathy, and sometimes the criticism he meted out, both on himself and on others, seems harsh and unforgiving. Kenneth Cragg, a Christian scholar of Islam, who died this week at the age of 99, understood Martin as the first in a line of Christians in modern history who talked with Muslims about faith. Martin's tracts show his conviction of the truth of Christianity. His writings about his year in Persia, meeting with Shia clerics, shows a growing respect for some of those with whom he talked and an adoption of some of their customs, including the growing of a larger, rather long, large beard, but unfortunately we don't have any um, pictorial evidence for that. He certainly developed a love for the language of Persia and worked hard to ensure he had the best translation of the New Testament and the Psalms that he could manage. The other thing that is worth noting about Henry Martin and any others that we may admire is that they were part of communities. Men, including Will, William Wilberforce, helped him gain a position with the British East India Company. His shock at the company's disregard for the, the plight of poor Indians arose because he'd been influenced by the anti-slavery campaigns and the social reform movements of people like Wilberforce and Elizabeth Fry. He worked very closely with a team of people on translations. Native speakers of the languages, for example, without which he, could have, he wouldn't have got very far in his translations and the Baptist missionaries who were translating and printing other languages. At his death, 
members of the Armenian church in Turkey cared for him and buried him. Henry Martin also looked back to the communion of saints that had gone before him for example and inspiration. He was very influenced by reading the life of a missionary to North America, one David Brainard, somebody else whose name is largely forgotten, and also of Augustine, the theologian and early church father, who certainly is not forgotten. And he was part of a wider missionary movement that was, after his death, to include Samuel Ajay Crowther, David Livingstone, and Pandita Ramabai. He could not have lived the life he did without the faithfulness of those around him and those who had lived before him. And if we turn back to the chapter of Hebrews, it describes the many ways in which the faithful Israelites demonstrated their faith. I simply picked out one or two. It's by faith that we understand that God ordered the universe. It's by faith that makes a sacrifice, not be afraid, be tortured and put in prison. You can read the lengthy chapter for yourself and see all the different ways in which faith is demonstrated. Perhaps some of the descriptions of Henry Martin resonate Perhaps some descriptions of Abraham, I beg your pardon, resonate with the life of Henry Martin. By faith, when called to go, he obeyed and went, though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home like a stranger. He lived in tents. Well, I don't think he very often lived in tents, but he did live on a boat and he lived in some quite nice East India Company property. But it was uh, temporary accommodation. He was constantly on the move. He was looking forward to the city whose architect and builder is God. Henry Martin lived in the hope of the resurrection of Christ and in the hope of God's eternal reign. And he worked to bring that message of hope to others. So as we root ourselves in the body of Christ, in order that we worship God, and share the love of God with others. I wonder who inspires us by their faithfulness. Who do we remember? And how do we inspire others to faith? Amen.